Hello and welcome to the CA Agenda, a brand new podcast brought to you by ICAS. I'm your host, Indy Hoti, and over the next few months, I'll be speaking with some truly inspirational CAs about the challenges and opportunities currently facing the accountancy profession and the wider business world. This podcast is part of the CA Agenda Thought Leadership content series from ICAS, which focuses on the three key themes of technology, trust, and talent. Go to ICAS.com and search CA Agenda to explore our thought leadership content and learn more about the agenda. On this episode of the podcast, recorded in November 2019, I'm joined by CFO of View International, Alison Cornwell. Alison qualified as a CA with Coopers and Librand Glasgow in 1990 and spent five years in corporate finance in London before joining Disney's international TV business, where she was CFO. In 2005, wanting to do something truly entrepreneurial, Alison joined a management team which diligenced, acquired, restructured and expanded an international broadcasting business. The private equity-backed venture delivered significant growth and was sold to NBC Universal at the end of 2007. Following this, Alison was appointed CFO of the Goldman Sachs-backed international film distribution company Alliance Films. After six years, including a number of corporate acquisitions and the creation of a successful film financing unit, which included titles such as The Woman in Black, which was Daniel Radcliffe's first film post-Harry Potter, Alison led the exit process and sale of the business to a FTSE 250 company in 2013. During the integration process, Alison was approached to join View International as a CFO. Welcome, Alison. Great to have you here. So what made you decide to train as a chartered accountant? I was contemplating a maths degree and contemplating going to the Royal Academy to study music and couldn't decide which route to take. And then one day my uncle, who was a chartered accountant, said, why don't you consider becoming a CA? Because the world is your oyster, you can work in any industry, in any country, and you can have music as a hobby. I decided that was very good advice and I then went to Glasgow University studied the Bachelor of Accountancy qualification and then joined Coopers and Librand in Glasgow to start my CA training. You've had a fascinating career journey. Did you always intend to enter the entertainment industry? I loved working in the profession for my five years in corporate finance, but that taught me that I wanted to be in industry, not necessarily the entertainment industry, because being in the profession my frustration was you would only have a certain limited amount of time with a particular business or company working on the assignment. When that came to an end, you were then on to the next assignment and company, which was fascinating, learning about lots of different businesses. But I knew then I wanted to be CFO in a business and be able to help to drive the strategy and the business growth. So the move into industry was a natural one. It was just a happy coincidence that it happened to be Disney, which was my first international role. Alison, you've been very vocal around the importance of, of talent and you've written a number of thought leadership pieces on talent. What does talent mean to you? For me, talent is the natural ability to do something well, but talent uh, has to be relevant. Um, one example that I've used in the past is uh, when I reflect on my uncle, 
who was a chartered accountant many, many years ago. He had a fantastic skill to look at a set of numbers, add them up in his head and always have the correct answer. That was an incredibly interesting talent, but it's not something that people would value today. Hence, talent has to be relevant. And so linking that back to the profession, how have you seen skills of finance professionals evolve during your time? I joined the media and entertainment sector in 1995. My first industry role from the profession was Disney. And the international television division which I joined had experienced or was beginning to experience very, very significant growth. And to be able to monetize and deliver further growth very efficiently, it was clear we were going to have to hire high-calibre, talented individuals and put systems and processes in place to be able to drive that growth forwards. Um, I hired a lot of very bright, newly qualified chartered accountants. We put in very simple but very effective processes to value the rights of uh, TV films uh, that we were selling around the world and systematizing that so every time we were asked to value a new property we weren't starting from scratch there was actually a framework there that we could evolve and and develop Um, the people that I hired all were very curious I wanted people to understand everything to leave no stone unturned and again to feel as if they were real partners to the business and Very interestingly, in the early years, there were certain people who were keen to to actually move out of finance and beyond. One of my first hires into finance became a sales executive within TV distribution in Disney because sales in that context meant negotiating packages which could be hundreds of millions of dollars, multi-year significant volume of titles that were being licensed to broadcasters and having analytical skills to be able to deliver a package that was very valuable to Disney and also very valuable to the the broadcasters and demonstrating the value to them that they would get from the deal was a key skill. Uh, My staff member who moved into uh, the UK sales team at Disney was incredibly successful. She's still a very good friend of mine, 25 years on. And next week, she becomes CEO of an international media business. So again, big success story. But if I look back to those initial people who I hired to work with me to try to put structure around that business and help it to grow, they've all moved on to incredible roles, both in finance and outside finance in in industry and, and made a great success. And that is because they were all talented, the talent was nurtured, We were working towards a common purpose together. We had a mission and it it was very successful for the company and for all of them individually too. So there's been a huge surge in new and improved technologies which influences talent. So what do you think the skills that are required for the next generation of CAs? I think what we will see is significantly less time being spent on producing information and significantly more time taking automated information and focusing on commercial 
action-oriented business decision-making. One example uh, with VIEW International, which we are very proud of, is we have created an artificial intelligence automated system for content scheduling. So in our UK estate, for example, we have over 90 sites and each site, each screen is automatically programmed. You can obviously override should you want to, but it, it's algorithms which we have developed over many years which sit on top of a data warehouse of millions and millions of data points from historical trading activity. And our AI content scheduling tool will program the right film in the right screen at the right time to maximise overall profitability. It will calculate, for example, if it's worthwhile keeping screen seven in a particular site open from 10 o'clock until midnight to have one extra screening of a particular film, taking into account all of the costs, so film rental, utility costs, an extra cleaning session, etc. And it predicts the best schedule across our estate this is groundbreaking. No other exhibitor has this type of AI tool internationally. And it's something that we own the intellectual property to and are looking to roll that out into our other markets. That's absolutely fascinating. So I guess, does that also take into account sort of local demographics and tastes? So if a particular area or part of the country, you know, it, at certain genres are more popular, you would you would see you'd see more screenings of those those particular films. Yes, because the data on which the algorithms calculate the the best schedule is based on exactly which films historically have aired or been screened in every cinema for the last ten, 10 years plus. It's, it's an incredible wealth of actual data so it knows what works well in which site and everything is done by screen, by cinema based on 10 years of historical data. That's an absolutely fantastic example of the use of AI in a, in a commercial setting. I guess for me the question then arises around the current generation of CAs. Do you think they'll need to upskill themselves? I think they will, but I don't think this is anything new. I think CAs have always been upskilling themselves to keep up to date with the changing environment. When I qualified in 1990, for example, very few people knew how to operate Excel spreadsheets. Nowadays, it's completely commonplace. So I think in terms of upskilling, the upskill now is probably more about understanding business drivers, having commercial acumen, looking at the latest suite of technology that can help people to, to, to do better jobs. So historically, people have used Excel. Now I'm looking at other tools that people can use to try to automate reporting. So new, newer tools like the Tableau system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and similar systems that we're looking at to try to be able to push data rather than people spending time consolidating Excel models and then producing reports. Tools like Tableau, carefully developed, sitting on top of the data of the business can generate automated reports in real time and then people can focus their skills on commercial action-oriented business decision-making rather than the more traditional role of an accountant perhaps 20 years ago. 
particularly today with my team, people want to have a voice. People want to make a positive impact. Mm -hmm. They want to see the results of something that they have taken ownership of and had a positive impact on the business. It is far more interesting to be able to achieve those things than receiving Excel reports from overseas territories and spending a day adding them up, going back to a territory to say, you have made an error here, can you fix it and send it back? There's no value in a good person spending time compiling data and adding up spreadsheets. There is fabulous value and satisfaction for the person and good business results from being able to take the output of a report and then try to use it to make a business decision or to understand a trend and take positive action. On the topic of purpose and impact, so what should employers be doing to ensure they can attract the talented individuals to work with them? I think people want to work in a culture where there's very much a one-team mentality, not a silo mentality, Mm -hmm. and where people feel that if they identify a trend or an opportunity or an issue which should be explored, that they will have a voice and they will have the opportunity to take that forwards. People want to have responsibility and have pride in being the owner of a, a process or a particular area. And in doing so, I think that makes work stimulating, meaningful. People can see that what they do matters. And so that culture of openness and collaboration and breaking down those silos, is that something that's very important to you? Very much so. And I have always worked in international businesses. I love working with the different cultures and the different approaches to things. But again, it always comes back to a one team mentality. And I always encourage communication, not just between the head office and the territories, but across the territories as well. And once every quarter, I try to get my heads of finance together in one of the head offices. It's not always London. And we will debate a whole bunch of issues. And you may have the guy from Germany and the guy from Italy who have a common issue. They are now a network. They are now connected and they can get together. It doesn't have to be communication through me because they know each other extremely well and they can solve the problem together or debate the opportunity together. So for me, it's very powerful to have communication going always and really having a network of people and being able to identify and surface the best ideas from wherever that idea may come from. You mentioned communication channels there, and it feels like you know that you get so many efficiencies around removing the bureaucracy, right, in terms of a a country head having to go to maybe the global head and, and, and feed, feeding that back, but actually bringing people together into one room to be able to discuss those issues and collaborate to find solutions, I guess. Yes, uh, and again, because we're in different countries and we can't always be together in the same room physically, we've invested in some very good Zoom technology whereby we can have people in Rome speaking to people in Hamburg, seeing each other on the screen, and the technology works pretty effectively. Uh, We we very rarely have any hitches. And again, just seeing somebody's facial expression and understanding their mood and being able to see that, again, really helps the, the international communication. We've had some fascinating conversations around technology and the use of technology. But I guess what about the softer skills around business relationships and emotional intelligence? Are they still as important as ever? 
Very much so. Obviously, technology can give you some fantastic uh, outputs and results, but that can only take you so far. Ultimately, it's all about business relationships, negotiations, understanding the objectives of the person that you're dealing with, what are their needs, what are their aspirations, what's important to them. So for me, that will always be fundamental and soft skills are as important today as they have ever been. For some individuals, um, especially those with that much more analytical mindset, they may be thinking, how do I develop some of these softer skills? Or how do I improve my business relationships? How do I improve my emotional intelligence? Do you have any advice to offer on that? We don't have any formal mentoring in place as such, but what I like to try to do is get my entire team together first thing on a Monday morning to talk about the week behind us, what went well, what we delivered, the week coming up and the month coming up in terms of the deliverables, the projects, the the things that we're working on, so that everybody can understand the context within which we're working. They can understand any pressure points. So perhaps my financial analysis team will understand that my controllership team will be under pressure this week because they are trying to finalise the year-end audit or they've got a particular deadline that they're working towards. And I think that's very important for everybody to understand any pressure points that people may have so that they can react or behave accordingly. I also like, if I'm working on a particular project, to try to involve as many people from my team as possible within reason and to explain what I am thinking, where do I think the challenges are going to be, how am I going to address that, so they can observe and learn and they can also chip in with any ideas that they have as to certain ways that we could perhaps deal with a situation. I'm very open about taking on people's feedback and ideas, but also telling them what I'm thinking and what a good result would be, what a less good result would be and and why. And looking forward now, what do you think some of the key business trends are that will emerge over the coming years? I think a lot of the focus will continue to be a drive towards mining data. So we have already implemented an artificial intelligence cinema scheduling tool in one market and we're now rolling that out to other markets. But areas such as understanding the behaviour of individuals, segmentation and customising offers to consumers, using technology to make transactions easy for consumers with minimal clicks on apps or websites to be able to achieve your objective of buying a ticket or uh, acquiring something else, I think, is, is the way I see the business growing with far more attention on data mining and segmentation. As a big movie buff myself, I'm a huge fan of cinema and the industry as a whole. What's your view currently on the health of the industry? International cinema is thriving. If you look at the UK market in the last two years, 2018, 2019, the markets delivered record-breaking attendance. The number of admissions was at record-breaking levels. And we've seen incredibly strong performance in markets such as Poland and the Netherlands, which we also operate in, which grow year over year over year. The other interesting trend that you see in some of the international markets is the strength and the growth of local film production. So, for example, if you were to look at the Polish market, 
something like 30 to 40% of the box office is delivered by local Polish content and local production there is thriving. And the entertainment landscape as a whole has changed dramatically over the last decade with the rise of streaming services. What's, what's your view on those? Netflix and the other players certainly have had a significant disruptive impact on in-home viewing. So in other words, linear television viewing or pay television viewing, there has been a very, very big impact on that. But we have not seen any impact on people's cinema attendance habits. If anything, people want to have that big screen out of home experience that you can only get by going to the cinema. There is a huge rise in the number of players in this space now. So Netflix being one of the original. We now have Disney Plus, for example. So do you think there's going to be increased competition um, in this particular segment? Netflix have had a relatively clear run over many years where there was very little competition. Disney Plus have launched in the US and are launching in international markets and other players are launching their own streaming services. So for the first time, Netflix are now faced with real competition. Equally, historically, a lot of those content players licensed content to Netflix for their platform. They have now pooled or have started to pool their content from Netflix. And so Netflix are having to run very, very hard to create sufficient content of their own to replace the content that is now being pooled and being put onto other services. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see how the battle plays out between all of these streaming services over the next one to three years. So looking towards the future of cinema, do you think it's going to change dramatically? Cinema has been around for over a hundred years and is in extremely good health growth in uh, audiences who love the high quality seats, screen, sound. And it's a wonderful communal experience. People always remember the first film that they went to see as a child. They remember the first film that they took their children to. They remember the first date. Uh, So I think cinema is very much uh, here to stay and to thrive in the future. Thinking back to when you first joined the profession, Is there any advice that you'd like to have given yourself? I would say be true to what you want to do and stick with it. Find something that you really enjoy, work at it, be enthusiastic and you will do well. I knew that I wanted to move into corporate finance. When I was doing my qualifications in Coopers and Library in Glasgow, I worked on some limited corporate finance assignments. There was no corporate finance practice there at the time, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. It was then quite challenging to get a permanent role in corporate finance in London because of mergers between Coopers and Lybrand and Deloitte at the time. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. I stuck at it and I got the position as soon as I qualified, which was great. Thank you, Alison. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you.